This week we're continuing to look at Simon Peter's letter, uh, the first letter of Peter to the church. And we're in chapter 2, so I invite you, if you're visiting with us, there are Bibles in the racks in front of you. You can grab one of those and uh, turn the page numbers in the bulletin. I think it's page number 872 um, as we are looking at this letter that Peter writes to the church. He writes to, um, to you and me. He writes to uh, everyone who comes, came before us and everyone who comes after us. And he is, um, <clears throat> in chapter 2, Peter is basically, the illustration I'm, I'm using, the, the, the demonstration of that is, Peter has basically got a bag of ideas, things that, things that he sees in what God is doing in the church um, and what he knows about Christ. And he basically takes that bag and dumps it out on the table. And so there's an awful lot of images that he uses. The first one he uses um, is the image of a newborn baby uh, seeking after milk. The second image that he uses is living stone, which we talked about last week, and and what that really, that whole idea of um, life and faith and how they fit together. Um, But this week we're going to kind of pick up on the tail end of that living stone statement because uh, Peter really... um, it kind of opens a door to something that we need to reflect upon um, as, a, as a community of faith, as a church, as a congregation. And so we're going we're gonna to read in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. As you come to him, this is speaking to Jesus, of, of Jesus, so as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for him who believes. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They... They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. And this is a it's a difficult passage of scripture because it makes a statement about those who are not believers. Um, And um, and if we're not careful, the way the statement is made can be taken and used as a bludgeon to buffet people upside the head. You know, well, there are believers and there are unbelievers. There's us, and we're special. And there's there's them, and they're they're not so special. Uh, one of the one of the elements that I, I I treasure, one of the paradigms that I use in my life, um, is is something that I got from a guy named Rich Nathan, um, and it is the idea of uh, not thinking in sets like that, the us and them. Uh, if you think about it, most of the problems in the world come from people saying we're we're this, and you're not. Therefore, we are better than you. If you think about it, that is a very, very common human problem. Now, it has to do a lot with human arrogance. Um, Obviously, we believe the things that we believe because we believe they're the things you should believe. Think about that one. Um, And so so we tend to to be very, very sure of ourselves. Um, But one of the points that Rich Nathan brought up, it's a book called Who is Your Neighbor? Um, 
And one of the things that he brings up is we are thinking, we're thinking wrong when we, we, we divide the world between us and them. Um, what we need to think of is toward and away from. We need to think of people moving. Because, and, and to use the illustration of the church, um, rather than saying everybody that comes to church and does the right thing is us and everybody that, is, that doesn't is them, we need to think in terms of who is moving toward Christ and who is moving away from Him. Because across the world, there are millions of people who are going to church today, but they are moving away from God. They are moving away from Christ. And they're there and they're doing all the right things and they're saying all the right stuff. But the reality is their thinking is moving them away from God. And then there are some people who are out there in the absolute pits of despair. Who are moving toward Christ. And if we quantify people by where they are right now. If we try to make a static definition and say well these are the good people and these are the bad people then we misappropriate and we misunderstand the movement that God is at work at in our lives. And I think the Apostle Peter deals with that particular idea here, and he deals, deals really in detail, uh, even though it's a kind of an abstract statement, he deals with detail on our attitude toward those who are outside of the faith. Our attitude to the, those who are outside of the faith. And so this morning, if you are not a Christian, I hope and I pray that this message will not be offensive to you. I hope it will be an encouragement to you. Um, as you understand that this is the way, as we expand this, hopefully you'll understand um, a healthy way that Christians should be viewing everybody who is not a Christian. Um, and, and hopefully it will wreck some preconceived notions of what a Christian is. Because um, we... We sometimes have a bad reputation. Um, but also, I hope that as we spend time together in the Scriptures, for those of you who are believers, I hope you find freedom in what the Apostle Peter discovered as he talks about stumbling. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we come to you once again, living stones built up into a spiritual house. You are the master mason who is bringing all of these um, pieces that is your church together. You alone understand why we are shaped the way we are. We know that you are at work and you are building something better. And we ask that you would open our eyes to your word this morning. That we might see and know what you would have us to hear, to feel, um, to do. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. The Apostle Peter says this in verse 8, the end of verse 8. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Now, there's a, there's a, a mindset, and I've already touched on this. There's a mindset that often we say, well, there's us and them. There are those who are going to understand and those who are never going to understand. Uh, when William Carey, who you may or may not know his name, William Carey was a, a, a British guy um, in the uh, 1780s, and he felt called of the Lord to do something. Particularly, he wanted to go uh, to Asia, and he wanted to share the gospel with those who had not heard. Now, today, in a modern evangelical church, this sounds like, well, that's, isn't that what missionaries do, you know? 
But for William Carey, it was a very, this was a huge change in the way that most people thought. The reformers, like Martin Luther and John Calvin, those kind of people, um, they believed, basically, um, that Christianity was for Europeans. That was the way it worked. Europe was Christendom. Everybody else wasn't a Christian, so, wow, sucks to be them. I mean, that was really the mentality. Uh, you can read it in Martin Luther. He, he basically, Martin Luther, um, he wrote a, a, a treatise on uh, the Turk, on war with the Turk um, is the name of the treatise. And in it, he basically says, isn't it a shame that these people aren't Christians? I guess we'll have to kill them. I mean, that was his justification. That was his argumentation. And you say, well, that's really weird. Well, they, I mean, to be honest, that's the way Germans have approached the world for hundreds of years. Um, you know, but, but this was, that was, the basic idea was the Great Commission, you know, go ye therefore into all the world, preach the gospel, you know, baptizing people, make disciples of all people, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The argument was, the theological argument was, that was given to the apostles, it was fulfilled in the church in Europe, and so we're done. There's us, and there's them. And William Carey was the first prominent guy to come out and say, you know what, maybe God's not done with the world. And believe it or not, he hit all kinds of resistance about the idea of going somewhere else and telling people who were not already Christians about the gospel of Christ. Um, and the argument was, the argument was, basically, if God wants them to hear, God will do something miraculous to attract their attention. That was the argument. There's us, and there's them. Now, we don't live in that, that same kind of way, but I think um, we, there is still a certain mentality that there are those who are Christians and those who are not Christians, and it's just sometimes a troubling thing. Some of you are in marriages, right, where your spouse is not a believer, and you say, well, how do we deal with this? I mean, I mean, how, how does my faith interact? And some of you have found a nice balance, and some of you are still trying to find a balance, and some of you are, you know, every just beat on him regularly, and he's fine. Uh, you know, I mean, there, there are different ways that everybody is interacting with this. I think the Apostle Paul, Peter gives us a, a great insight into this. Because he points out that they are that those who are not believers, um, they they are stumbling over one particular thing, and that one particular thing is who Jesus is. He doesn't say that makes them bad. Um, we read this word, you know, in in verse eight we get this word, um, you know, they disobey. Uh, the the Greek word, and it's it's hard to get it into English, but the Greek word is just th there's no faith. All right? They just don't share our faith. That's all that that means. All right? They don't, they don't sh have a shared belief. They don't share the same belief as us. And, he says, and that's because they don't understand, they don't have the same belief set as, as we do about Jesus. And we have to ask the question, why don't people believe? And I want to I want to kind of explore that. This doesn't really I don't really have a structure this morning. So if you're trying to make, take notes, that might be tough, um, because I think this is a this is a concept that we can't just give bullet points to. Now, 
for some people, some of us who are Christians, we look at those who are not Christians and we say, okay, well, the problem is they, 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 ha- they got the wrong package, all right? Um, you know, they, 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 they're seeing it wrong. And so what we need to do is we need to make Christianity cool. So here's what we're going to do. This is why Christians should never be in charge of what is cool. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to take some kind of cool thing in popular culture and we're going to tweak it a little bit and we're going to make it about Jesus and we're going to slap it on a t-shirt and that'll get people to understand that Christians are cool. All right. Um, you know, or, or, you know, what we're going to do, uh, we know that the church service, you know, for the last like 2000 years, a church service has consisted of singing and praying and, and, and then reading the scripture and studying the scriptures. We know that that's what a church service has been for 2000 years, but we need people to think that the church is cool. So what we're going to do is we're going to strip everything that, that is not cool out of the church. And, and we're going to let everybody know how cool the church is. There's going to be lights and people coming in on zip lines and, um, we're going to set up a rodeo ring in the middle of the auditorium you know we're going to do things to show people how cool we are now i got to be honest with you there is nothing more embarrassing and more painful for the observer than a an academic um trying to pretend like he is cool in a way that he's not cool now i happen to think that smart is cool all right um i happen to think that it's okay to be a little nerdy all right. Um, in fact, if you Google white and nerdy um, on YouTube, you will find a video of Doug Wilcox and I singing that song. All right. Um, and it is worth your time all right, to see this video because uh, it is impressive. We get do rags, the whole deal. All right. But it's just proof. I mean, it, we, we, we sit there and we go, we're going to make this cool, man. We're going to get, um, we're going to get, and I, I got to paraphrase, I, I, or preface this i have nothing wrong with tattoos i have i have an issue with silly christian tattoos like like somebody goes you know what's going to be really cool uh what i'm going to do i'm going to get some cryptic christian thing tattooed in some bizarre place on my body so that when somebody asks i can share the gospel with them i I mean i mean there's a professional wrestler randy orton I don't know if you know who Randy Orton... Randy Orton claims to be a Christian, and Randy Orton has uh, Philippians chapter 2 tattooed on the backside of his tricep. Now, i got to ask you, at what point is somebody going to go... You know, is it while he's RKO- RKOing? You know, um, he's... It, 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 it's, oh, look at that verse. Uh, you know, one of the other things, and, and one of my favorite favorite writer is a guy named Dan Kimball, and, and Dan talks about how he went to Las Vegas and found poker chips that had Bible verses on them. And he's holding this poker chip at a conference. He goes, I just have a question. How do you use this? What is the point of this? Do you wait for the dealer to look away, slip it in the stack, and then he's saying, oh, oh and praise. And I, what, what, what happens there? And we're so desperate to make Christianity appealing because we think if people think that Christianity is cool, they will embrace it because clearly they misunderstand it. Well, the Apostle Peter says that Jesus is a rock of stumbling. He's a stone of stumbling. Not everything about the Bible is as cool as we might want it to be. The idea that we follow someone who is crucified for the sins of the world... That's cool to us as believers. It's, it's an awesome idea and it's an awesome concept, but it's a little weird. It's not something that you put on your list of things you're going to discover during the day. And so we try to package it and downplay it. 
And we have to be aware that we can't do that. Now others, in order to get people to accept the Christian message, they use guilt and fear and persuasion and manipulation. And I have on my Facebook page, I have pages of a a, uh, how to get people to become Christians manual from the 1950s which, to be perfectly honest, if you were to do the things that are being done in this manual, you'd probably be charged with assault. There are things like you grab the guy's shoulder and you don't let him turn you away from you until he's prayed with you. Now, those of you that know me know that the last thing in the world you ever want to do is grab my shoulder in an uncomfortable situation. Because I will drop the shoulder and I will drive it into your solar plexus instinctively i won't do it on purpose it's just a short man technique i fit easily in trunks and i don't like the idea of somebody grabbing me all right um so so we but this technique you know and it and it's and you don't let him go until he prays this prayer with you you know use this thing and make sure because it's important you know and the argument is once they pray the magical prayer and they they get you know separated into their house slytherin or whatever it is and in, in hogwarts then they will understand their purpose and their role and their place in life harry potter joke went completely flat um never ever make harry potter joke uh the but this this whole thing of, of, okay, we use guilt or we use fear, or we make it cool or we package it a certain way. And, and if we could just make it appealing to people or we could just push people into it, then they would understand how great this is. And these things, you need to understand that these things come from a good intention. There are Christians who say, what we have as Christians is great. It's fantastic. We have the grace of God poured out upon us. We're, we're, no longer, we're no longer held accountable for our sin. We've been received into Christ. And we, we are able to celebrate that although I fail, God is good. And we say, we want everybody else to know this. But we have to understand there are some who don't. And if there's a point, a first point, it is this. We have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with the fact that not everybody is going to think that what we think is great is also great. Now, with the exception of certain Boston sports teams, um, you know, and the fans of certain sports teams who, who you know, are going to argue that, that, you know, you're not a true baseball fan unless you're a Red Sox fan or you're not a, you know, you're not a true, uh, I mean, you're not a true hockey fan if you're not a Bruins fan. I, I, I can't help that. Um, but the... Although I have a Blackhawks jersey in my thing, but don't tell Lee. Oh, sorry. Um, but the this this whole uh, this whole idea, this mentality, where does it come from? It's the us and them. We say, well, we want everybody to be a part of our group, and so we want everybody to embrace what we value so strongly. And so the only way to get everybody to embrace what I value strongly, I've got to do it, whatever it takes, in order to get them to value what I value. I will do whatever it takes. We have to be careful about that. The Apostle Peter says that they stumble because they don't share our faith in the Word. Now, when Peter talks about the Word, you need to understand that Peter is talking about Jesus. He uses the word Word. He's talking about Christ as the manifest living Word of God. And he says, look, they're just, some people just don't get it. And that's not, we have to accept it. It's just a reality. We don't have to be necessarily happy about it, but we have to accept it. Because if we don't, we, we fall into the trap of how do we make it more attractive? How do we make it, how do we manipulate people? How do we use guilt? How do we use fear? 
Um, I don't know if any of you, I don't know if any of you ever endured this, but, but have you ever had, when you were growing up, did your parents ever try to convince you that something that they wanted for you is something that you should want to? Right? And, oh, we really want you to do this. Now, my dad did the opposite thing. My dad and the ministry, when I, get, when I believed that God called me into the ministry, my dad did everything in his power to get me to not do it. Everything. He took me to a marine recruiter station in Boston. I kid you not. Um, he was, he, he, everything he could to keep me from being a preacher because he knew what it was like to be a pastor. He wanted to make sure this was really what God had for me and I was sure that this is what God wanted me to do. You know, but, but when somebody is trying to manipulate you into doing something, um, my mother had a certain list of young ladies she really wanted me to be interested in. Um, you know, and, and, you know, it was, it was tough. We went through a few until I found one she liked and then I immediately married her. What? <laughs> it was in high school, junior high, high school. It was long before I knew you. There was no one at the school that was on the list, so we're, we're okay. Um, when I brought my wife, you know, I, I, first, I, first dated, I first dated my wife. I don't know if she ever vocalized it. It was just nudges. You know how my mom is. You know, what do you think of? I'm like, uh, who? <laughs> you know, kind of those situations. Anyway, um, but, uh, you know, our parents, they want to, we, we have to be aware of that. We have to be aware that in our faith, we don't do that either. But there's a second side of this, and I, I want to share, share with this, and it is, it is, it's this. We need to also make sure, we need to be okay with people not sharing our beliefs. But we also need to make sure that the reason they don't share our beliefs is because they stumble over Christ, and not that they stumble over us. The, there, is a, there is a very real association between believers and the person they follow. And we have to be aware that as Christians, sometimes we, we take things that are, that are peripheral and we jam them into our perception and our conveyance of Christ. I mean, everybody knows, right? I mean, in the 1980s, it was very clear that Jesus voted Republican. All right? I mean... So much so, and I think I shared this last week, so you, this might be repetitive for you, but I, I have a picture uh, on Facebook. Uh, I found this picture, somebody posted it, of Jesus handing the Declaration of Independence to, to Thomas Jefferson. And people said, Jesus is an American. I mean, he's a Second Amendment gun-toting American. Hey, Jesus, Jesus instituted the United States of America, which, by the way, this is not an uncommon mindset, and, and it is shared by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They, they believe the Constitution to be inspired of God. Um, not in the same way that they believe their scriptures to be inspired, but that's one of the reasons why um, Latter-day Saints or Mormons are so patriotic. Okay. Um, and if you need to know who a famous Mormon is, all right, Glenn Beck is a Mormon. So if you listen to Glenn Beck, the radio personality, you, you'll see his devotion to the American Christianity, the way that he views America. Um, but this, we have to be careful that we, can, we don't conflate um, our political activism with our faith. We also have to be careful that we don't conflate our moral code as a measurement of faith. That we walk around and we say, well, a Christian would do this. If you were a good Christian, and you have to pronounce it that way, Christian, 
all right? If you were a good Christian, you would, you would conduct your way this way. Now, I grew up in this. If you were a good Christian, you did not listen to certain music. If you were a good Christian, you did not spend time with people who dressed inappropriately. You certainly would never do anything like smoke a cigarette or get a girl pregnant or any of other cardinal sins, including listening to Ozzy Osbourne. Because we are Christians. We don't dance, we don't chew, and we don't run with girls that do. We are Christians. We have to make sure that we don't conflate a moral code with being a follower of Christ. Now, are followers of Christ moral people? The answer is yes, because if you are submitted to the following, the teachings of Jesus Christ, he teaches us to conduct ourselves faithfully in submission to authority. He teaches us to make choices based on what will bring glory to God and benefit to others rather than ourselves. So Christians become moral people through the work of the Holy Spirit, but being a moral person does not make you a Christian. And if you demand of people that they abide by your code of morality in order to be a Christian, then you you are putting a stumbling block in front of them that is not the stumbling block of Christ. We have to be aware of that. We have to be cautious about that. There are other things that we create stumbling blocks, appearances. We create stumbling blocks about who we separate from. Well, you know, well, we Christians would never, ever fill in the blank. Now, while that statement might be true, we have to make sure that we're not conveying to people that Christianity is about what we do and what we say and how we live, but rather it's about Jesus Christ. And this, this point probably sounds like a repetitive thing. I probably sound like I say this every single week. Um, and I say it partially because I need to hear it, but I say it also part because every Christian needs to constantly retune ourselves to the way of Jesus. We have to be aware and we have to be careful to make sure that if somebody is going to stumble and not have faith, it's not because of who I am, it's because they just have difficulty with who Jesus is. And that's okay. Not everyone will understand. And that does not mean they are less than us. It does not mean, if you're not a believer here, it, you, being not a, not a Christian does not make you any less of a human being or any less intelligent or any less important or any less loved. We understand that faith is a journey. We understand that faith has questions. I have more questions than I have answers. The longer I'm a Christian, the more I am confused about things I thought I understood. It is okay for us to walk with those who are not Christians. It is okay for us to love those who are not Christians as they are and be an encouragement and a strength to them to to be a part of their lives. You say, "Why why do you bring this up? Well, it is so easy for us as Christians to be intimidated by things that are not Christian. When I got married, and I've told this story, we'll, I'll finish up um, in just a minute. Always be aware, aware whenever a pastor says that. Um, 
when my wife and I got married, there was, there was no alcohol at our wedding. There was also no dancing. Um, there were, uh, and there was um, no food. Now, in theory, they were feeding us, but what they brought us was inedible. Um, and uh, we tried desperately to convince those that wanted to give us a reception to give us money instead so we could buy a house. But for some reason, they wanted a big party with no dancing. I don't know. I still don't understand that. But anyway, um, and the reason was, well, if we let any of that in, then people might look at it and say, oh, well, that's fun. And, and I want to have fun, so I'm not going to be a Christian. I want to, I want to, those, but the, you know, or, uh, I, I don't, Christians and, Christians and, and this, you know, because we create, let me reverse, I'm kind of getting lost on my point. We create this false dichotomy. Think of it this way. Here's the best way to put it. You're raised in a Christian home. You, you always, you've always gone to church. You've always uh, been very, very submissive to everything that your parents have told you about faith and life. And you've been told that Christianity is the only way. It's the only truth. And you've embraced that idea and been baptized and done all the stuff and gone to Sunday school and gone to summer camp and rededicated your life and all of these things that, that Christians do. And then you go to a college, you go to a liberal arts college, and you're sitting in a class, and you have a philosophy professor who is very, very smart, and he seems to really understand how the world works, and you can really identify with what he is saying. And, but he is not a Christian. And now you are presented with a paradox. You're presented with a conundrum. Paradox is the wrong word. Presented with a conundrum between a rock and a hard place because I have been taught that my faith is not compatible with anything that he says and yet he is very intelligent and he seems to make a lot of sense and there's good reasoning behind what he says and he has basically made a, a solid argument for a lot of things that I resonate with so now I must choose I must choose between the Christianity that I lived in and rejecting that Christianity and embracing this other idea because I have always been taught it's us and them, and we are better than them. But what he's presenting to me is better than what I've been taught. You see the conundrum there? Because the reality is when we don't expose our children, we don't expose ourselves to the alternatives, it's because we're afraid that sin is more powerful than the Spirit of God. We are afraid that if we allow them to see outside of the veil of our faith, they will see something that will intrigue and ensnare them and it will draw them in and they will be lost forever. So it is better to bury them. It is better to, to, to say to them, no, 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 just stay within this thing. We, we have the truth. We have the answer. We do this to adults. We just don't do it. We don't just do it to children. We say, we have the truth. We have the answer. Stay within the circle. Don't step out of the circle. Whenever you have to venture outside of the circle to do something, to go to the grocery store, or go to college, or work your job, or whatever, venture out in the circle. Don't say anything. Get, don't get involved in any conversations. Don't take any possibility that might threaten your beliefs. And when you're done, get back inside the circle, cover yourself up, hug yourself, and say, aren't we better than them? The reality is if the truth of Jesus Christ is truly the truth of the creator of the universe, then guess what? It can stand up to any challenge. But we have to embrace it as it is. We have to embrace Jesus as he is. Rather than trying to add all of our bits and pieces and ideas and concepts and saying this is woven up into Jesus. 
We need to be okay with people not embracing what we believe. It's not about tolerance. I hate the word tolerance. The word tolerance means I'm, I'm better than you, but I will allow you to believe what you believe. That's what tolerance means. Whenever somebody says, you need to be more tolerant, I, I am not tolerant. If I disagree with you, I'm going to tell you I disagree with you. People that know me know that I have absolutely no problem doing that. I have no issue with disagreeing with someone. I have no issue with having knockdown, drag-out arguments with people and then afterwards going out to eat with them. Wasn't that a great discussion? You know, and they're sitting I'm okay with it. I'm okay with disagreeing with people. I'm okay with not having consent. And we need to be okay with it. We need to be able to have a conversation with people. We need to be able to sit up late in the middle of the night and have conversations with people where, where our perspective as followers of Christ is a part of a conversation. Because if I really believe that what I believe is the truth, then I can interact with those who disagree with me and stand my own. And when I'm done, they may not agree with me. They'll say, man, you know, he really knows what he's talking about. And he really cares about us. He really listens to us. He really hears us. I love hanging out with non-Christians. No offense to the followers of Christ. I love you guys. I love you guys to death. You are my favorite people in the whole world. I love our church. I love everything about our church. I love even the things that frustrate me about our church. I love hanging out with non-Christians too because they push me. They don't do it on purpose. They, They just don't believe the way that I believe. And sometimes they bring up things that I just don't understand. And I sit there and go, that was awesome. I was sitting with a group of friends. I'll close with this. I was sitting with a group of friends and we were talking about uh, my friend Craig. His dad was in hospice and they're Roman Catholic. And, and, um, and uh, he was, his dad was you know, getting ready for last rites. If you're Catholic, you know you got to do last rites. And, and the, the, his, his mom asked the doctor, this was awesome, because who thinks about this? His mom asked the doctor, well, can the host be gluten-free? Now think about this. This is last rites. You think you can let a little gluten slide, all right? It's kind of the end of life. And the amazing thing is the priest goes, yeah, you know, no problem. You know, we got gluten-free hosts. I'm like, you know, you know, body of Christ, gluten-free in parentheses. I, you know, but the, somehow the conversation turned to something that those of you that were in Hooks that may remember, I put up one time a slide of uh, individualized communion cups they were these little, they looked like coffee creamers, and they were these little communion cups that had grape juice in them, and that was sealed, and then on top there was a little cardboard wafer and a little plastic seal. It was a little self-contained, and, and I mentioned it, you know, just kind of in passing and just joking around it. My friend Brett, he goes, he goes, so what do you do with those? Do you just like stand in the front of the auditorium and just throw them? You know, it's like, I was like, no, 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 t-shirt gun, like the Monarchs games. You know, just, you know, body of Christ. I just, to me, and, and to them, they thought it was the weirdest thing in the world that somebody would want to do that. Why would you want a self-contained little package, you know, uh, like a six-pack of communion, please? You know, I mean, what, what is, they come in packages like the creamers, you know, people around. It, there's just all kinds of questions. And these guys thought it was the funniest thing in the world. But you know what happened is it, it led into a conversation about what did it mean to take communion? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And although my friends are not Christians... 
they walked away going, that was a great conversation. That was so fun. That was, we were able to talk about faith and, and life and, and explore some of what Eric believes and there's no offense to it and there's no, there's no difficulty to it. Uh, don't, be, don't, don't think that the gospel doesn't come up in these mess- conversations. But the reality is I'm okay with them stumbling over Christ. I'm not okay with them stumbling over me. I want to make sure that they see Christ. And I believe that the Spirit of God is greater than the Spirit of this world. And if Christianity, if Christians will enter a conversation and we will endeavor to be intelligent, emotionally connected, spiritually connected, if we will endeavor to interact with people, I can't guarantee you won't be persecuted, but I think for the most part, people will, will see your faith is not just something that's been imposed on you. It's not something about Sunday morning. It's a part of who you are. You've been transformed. You've been changed by Christ. And over time, He will draw all men to Him. We've got to believe that. We've got to get out of the way. We're going to let Christ be at work. So hopefully, that's our, our desire and our endeavor as followers of Christ. You join me in prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, as we have come together and we have just looked a little bit about one simple phrase about people stumbling. We looked at ourselves as followers of Christ. Lord, I pray that we would be more identified with Him. That we would not be afraid of the world around us. That we would allow our faith to interact and grow and change and be challenged. That we would enter the world with hope rather than with fear. With, with confidence rather than with timidity. Lord, I am so thankful for the relationships you give me, the friendships I have with other believers, that we can associate and fellowship and, and be strengthened by our faith, our shared faith. And those relationships and friendships I have that challenge that, that faith and that life. And Lord, I thank you for those relationships in the lives of every believer here. Help us to grow to renew, to, to love, to care, to engage, to be your church in the world. And to get out of the way so that the, if people are unable to believe, it's because they are unable to accept what is revealed about Christ and not because of us. We pray this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.